my name is, uh, is Matt Sawada. I'm one of the pastors here at LEFC, and it is my privilege this morning to be in Matthew 18 with you guys. I, I have some, some friends coming down the aisle. Um, they have Bibles for you. If you need a Bible this morning, just raise your hand, and these ushers would love to give you one. Looks just like mine today. We'll be on page 920. Well, let me catch you up to speed. Sorry, speeds. I did it again. That doesn't mean now. That doesn't mean now. Let me, let me uh, bring you up to where we are in our sermon series, especially kids who've missed the last couple. Uh, we've been talking about being anchored. Anchored is our theme throughout the next, we've got three more months of this. And today ends the first, kind of the first chapter. We've been talking for the last couple weeks about being relationally anchored, or anchored relationally. And it began a couple weeks ago with Pastor Tony talking about what, what relationship was supposed to look like. We were created to be relationally one with the God who's created all things. And back in the, in the garden, that relationship was perfect. They, they walked and they talked. They spent time together. Things were perfect. Until a couple chapters later, sin enters the picture. And that perfect oneness now is broken. Now there's, instead of relational oneness, there's relational brokenness. And humans worship now the created rather than the creator. So in Genesis 3, what happened was there inserted a worship problem. And that worship problem created relational problems with those around us. And last week, Pastor Tony began to, to talk about God's solution to this problem. His solution is in the form of a person named Jesus. And we can be reconciled to him and to others because of Christ. And this morning, we're going to finish that conversation by talking about forgiveness. What does it look like to receive this forgiveness given to us through Jesus and then extend it to those around us? So today is the culmination of the first chapter of being anchored relationally. Next week at the park, we will kick off the serv- uh, kind of the, the next chapter, which is being anchored emotionally. There's going to be good stuff coming in the month of June. And so forgiveness. Forgiveness. It's a loaded word. Forgiveness is a word that for many of you is, is pretty difficult. When I mention forgiveness, it takes you back to certain scenarios, to certain situations, maybe to a certain relationship that carries a lot of baggage in your life. And maybe you think of that person or that scenario where it was hard to forgive. Maybe when I say forgiveness, it brings you back to a sweet moment where you found freedom, 
where you found relational freedom or spiritual freedom. Maybe it takes you back to the moment you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You were forgiven. Forgiveness. It's a major theme in Scripture. You could spend the next couple months going from Genesis to Revelation and going from story to story to illustration to psalm to proverb to prophet to gospel. You could track this thematically throughout the whole Bible. I dare you to do it. And if you do, I want to talk to you. And I want to hear what you've learned in your journey. Because it's profound, this scripture, if you take out all of the forgiveness from it, there's not much left. It's a major biblical theme. So it's a loaded word that in some cases is really hard, but in other cases it's really sweet. It's a biblical term that's also really common. Ever since my kiddos were small, we've taught them to say, I'm sorry. And then the other one would say, it's okay, I forgive you. They're not that little anymore. They don't squeak as much as my impersonation of them just sounded. Thankfully, they're in first service. I didn't squeak in first service. I bet, kids, can I see your hands? Oh, thank you, I just raised your hands. How many of you have said the words, I forgive you, this week? A couple honest ones out there. Yep, there's one. Anne Unruh's granddaughter, right? Raise her hand. I forgive you. Forgiveness is a word that we hear often, but probably not often enough. It's a common word, right? It's a word that, as I I was studying forgiveness, it's a word that... um, that's written about in secular contexts in the Greater Good magazine, which is published by Berkeley University. Psychiatrists from Berkeley University have defined it this way. Forgiveness defined is a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve it. That's a pretty good definition. Well, the Tyndale Bible Dictionary. So that's a secular definition. Here's a, a biblical one. They say it's, it's a pardon. This pardon is involved in restoring relationships that are broken. It is ceasing to feel resentment for wrongs and offenses. You see some of the parallels there. There's a ceasing to harbor resentment in forgiveness. So it's a loaded word. Forgiveness is a common word. It's a hard word. It's a sweet word. You know, there's a lot of questions that come with forgiveness. If you're starting to to think about the scenarios in which forgiveness has either been extended or has not been extended, there's probably some questions Maybe it's, well, what if they don't deserve it? Should I forgive even though they don't deserve it? Another question might be, um, 
when do I forgive? Is it only when the big things happen? Or how about the little things? Another question might be why? Why should I forgive? And underlying the the thought in that question is, they don't really deserve it. So why should I forgive them? Forgiveness is often the last thing we want to do. Well, if you turn to Matthew chapter 18, again, page 920 in this Bible, you're going to see that Peter asks Jesus another pretty popular question about forgiveness. Essentially, Peter is asking, do I, do I have to? Do I have to? In verse 21, Matthew 18, verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? It's almost as if seven is like this really big number. Like, I can, I can forgive him seven times. Essentially, I think if we unpack this question, what we're going to realize is this is a really common question. We've felt this. Peter is saying, hey, here's this guy, here's this girl, this brother or sister who is so annoying. This person is so aggravating. This person has, is continually badgering me. And maybe Peter's hurt. Maybe he's frustrated. Maybe he's just tired of it. Essentially what Peter is asking, he's saying, hey, Jesus, um, how can I create a boundary between him and me? How, how can I create a safe space? Because I'm sick of getting hurt, and I'm sick of him doing it. So when, when is enough enough? When can I put up the boundary? When can I just move on? Jesus answers in verse 22. I tell you, Not seven times, but 77 times. 77, yes. (laughs) Basically, Jesus says, never, never. It is never okay not to forgive. (laughs) Peter is like, really? Really, Jesus? Really? It's never okay? You could see the shock, because I think Peter thought seven times was like more than enough. And then he says, 77? Let's multiply that by 11. I don't think there's a specific number. He's not telling Peter to pull out his iPhone and keep a note and to tally the times of forgiveness. I don't think Peter was going to do that. But what he's saying is, hey, forgiveness, Peter, is unrestrained. I want you to be unrestrained in your forgiveness. Peter, I want you to trust me. And in trusting me, I want you to to love others and I want you to forgive others deeply. You see, Peter in this moment is like not happy with this answer. 
because Peter's put up his boundaries. He's put up his walls, his safety. He's trying to create the space, and Jesus is trying to break it down, and he's trying to tell Peter to step towards that mess, not away from it. At this point, I would imagine many of you are thinking, Matt, you don't know my situation. I know my wife this morning, first service, was probably thinking, well, Matt, you realize you are late almost every day. (laughs) There is always another conversation for you to have at the office. And you are continually late, and I have to continually forgive you for that. Maybe you're sitting there thinking about not just a small daily thing, you're sitting there thinking about the really big, massive debt that someone has dropped on you. The abuse, the neglect, the hate. <laughs> and you're saying, Matt, I know Jesus wants me to forgive, but you don't know my, my scenario. It's not that easy. Matt, I, I'm hurt and I'm angry and I kind of want to punch them and not forgive them. I want to deliver them some real justice rather than just yours. I want to give them what they deserve, not mercy. I, I get it. This type of forgiveness is not natural. I don't think it's even human. I don't think we can do this on our own. But I want you to keep that person or that situation, whether it's the, the smaller daily one or the mega big one and anything in between, I want you to keep that situation in mind. And I want, I want to see what Jesus does next. You see, Jesus answers this question with a story. And I've asked some of my good friends, the Speeds, to, to come on up. <laughs> come on up, John. You, you too. We need you. And uh, they, they're going to act out Jesus' response in this situation. All right? We've got a king. Uh, we've got some soldiers, very appropriately dressed, James. We've got two servants. And they're just going to, they're going to kind of, pantomime um, what this looks like. You guys ready? Good. Matthew 18, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he, the king, began the settlement, a man who was in debt was brought to him. The king said, you owe me ten thousand bags of gold. But master, said the servant, I'm not able to pay this debt. That's not enough money in my pocket. You take credit cards? <laughs> Since he was not able to pay, the king, the master, ordered, sell everything. Sell him, sell his wife, sell his kids, sell his stuff, sell it all in order to repay the debt. At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Please, master, please be patient with me, he begged. I I promise I'll pay back everything. Then the servant's master, the king, took pity on him. Fine, the king responded. Your debt is canceled. Your debt is paid. You are free to go. At this, the servant is amazed and celebrates just like that, just like that. 
But when the servant, when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him, (laughs) saying, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, please be patient with me. I promise I'll pay it back. The servant refuses, absolutely not. And instead of showing pity, the servant had his friend thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and tattled, and they went and told the king everything at length that had happened. Then the master called the servant back in and says, you, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy just as I had on you? In anger, the king handed him over to the jailers to be tortured (laughs) until he should pay back all that he owed. Well, LEFC, verse 35, this is how the Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Speeds. You did great. Thanks, Ben. John, thank you. (laughs) So helpful. And she curtsied for us this time. That was, Beth, I loved it. Thank you. She didn't do that last time, but she didn't practice. You know, I just thought that was such a physical story, illustration. It's so helpful to see the emotions and to see it actually played out in front of us. This isn't just a story. This is a, this is a picture of our lives that Jesus is using a parable to unpack. And so Jesus here answers Peter's question about boundaries Not with another question, right? Usually, Jesus answers a question with a question, right? It's a great teaching model. Drives kids nuts, but it's really helpful. You get them them to think. In this case, he answers a question with a story. And his audience in this moment, it's got got Peter, you've got the disciples, you've got close friends. And so he's kind of, it's like story time with Jesus, with some of his, his closer people. What we see in verse 23 is that he kicks this story off by talking about a kingdom. Matthew 18, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. I love that he starts here. This is so helpful to begin to frame the rest of the stories. It's so helpful to frame the rest of our lives. So in this story, let me ask you a question. How many kings are there? One. Let me ask, how many kings are there? Thank you. There's only one king. There's one king. The whole story is then played out in his kingdom. Right? And so there is one king, and we as humans live in his kingdom. Do you guys see how this applies? 
In Genesis 3, when sin entered the picture and broke relationship with God and others, what began to happen was we create our own kingdoms. We are king in our own contexts. And when we transfer divinity from God who deserves it to Matt who does not, there are problems. And we see that played out here. You see, God, our king, knows that we are all about our own kingdom. And we, when we become about our own kingdom, we become about safety and protection And we want distance and boundaries. You see, when our view of who is king is off, our hearts are off. We can't forgive properly if we don't know where we as humans really stand. Because isn't it true that when I choose not to forgive, I'm essentially saying, I am king in my own kingdom. When I'm king, I've got control issues. I'm in control. And what they have done to me now is my job to exact payment on them. But but no, the reality is there is one king, and that king is not us. It's not us. I think forgiveness begins first with actually remembering who the king is. It begins with turning to him, and when we are hurt, when we are frustrated, when we are wronged, our first response should be to turn to the king. To get off our self-made throne and to put ourselves under the one who is the king. It's a huge first step. Well, in verse 24, Jesus then continues. He's just set the scene. There is one king who is in control of this kingdom. And in verse 24, Jesus says, As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had would be sold to repay the debt. You see, Jesus tells this story with a massive amount of debt. Someone came up to me afterwards and said, you know, Matt, Americans don't understand debt. We live our lives in debt. And as Christians, we live our lives underneath this debt that's been forgiven. This is a massive debt. 10,000 bags of gold, different commentators will give different numbers to how much each bag of gold weighs. Some people say 50, some people say 80, some people say more. If you play out the math, that's as millions, potentially billions of dollars. This is debt. Not as big as our national debt. (laughs) But bigger than what each of us individually could ever pay back. And so, Jesus' point is clear. We are this servant. We should feel the weight of the debt that we have before our king, our father. And he uses this large number to illustrate the gravity of it. He said, we've got millions and billions of dollars of debt in this currency called sin. And there is nothing that we can do to pay it back. We simply can't do it. As Ben showed us, 
We can't fit 10,000 bags of gold in our pockets. They don't fit in the back of my Prius. I couldn't even drive with that kind of weight in my Prius. We can't work our way out of this debt. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans, Isaiah, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned and we've gone our own way. There's a sin issue in each one of us. And as I read on forgiveness a little bit, I came across a counselor. Uh, he's a professor in some of the classes that I've taken. This guy, his name's Aaron Cerrone. Two quotes from him. He said, herein lies the problem. If we don't know and understand the immensity of our own debts of sin, we do not have a chance of having a forgiving heart. If we don't understand the immensity of the sin that you and I have carried to the cross, we don't understand the size of that. We're going to have forgiveness issues later on. He goes on and continues. Same guy, Aaron Cerrone. He says that when we are blind to sin, all we see is the magnitude of our neighbor's sins. His sins, her sins, look bigger than our sins. And we feel better about ourselves. Again, my self-made throne. Your sin makes me feel better about me. And as a result, we deal harshly with other sinners while being blind to the fact that our debts are just as sizable. So my pile of sin looks better than your pile of sin. That makes me feel good. And that entitles me to respond brutally to those around me. Jesus continues. These are the two verses just get me every time. He said, at this, the servant fell to his knees before the king. Please be patient with me, he begged. Please, I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt. He canceled it. He let him go. If this were a movie, a Hollywood, if they were playing this out, this would, this would almost be humorous. The king would laugh, right, and say, how in the world can you pay this back? No, there's, there's no payment plan for billions of dollars. There's no way. The king would <laughs> just laugh at him. It's impossible. But then the king does the unthinkable, and he forgives the debt. He wipes it clean. He takes pity on that servant and cancels it. That massive debt, it's paid. Done. Ten thousand bags of gold erased. It's a beautiful truth. He's told you, hey, your sins have been forgiven. That crimson stain has been washed white as snow. Done. That massive debt, if I had that stamp, boom, paid in full. It's paid for. 
And there's no need for debt repayment plan because you A, can't do it, and B, there is nothing else required. The king does the unthinkable. Colossians 2 tells us this. I love this text. He says, this is verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So good. This is not because of anything the servant did or said. It wasn't because he convinced him. That was because of his character. It's because of who God is. He's good. Our God is gracious. Our God is compassionate. Our God is merciful. Nothing the servant did deserved this response. Isaiah 43 alludes to this. God is saying through Isaiah, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. It's beautiful. The reason for his mercy is located within himself, not in us. But, again, in humanity, the servant, while forgiven, now steps aside And he says in verse 28, he says, But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. This debt is pennies compared to 10,000 bags of gold. Communicates it's significant. A denarius is worth one day's wage. So it's like a hundred days' work of money. Maybe $15,000. Maybe $20,000. You know, depends on your job, things like that. But This is small compared to billions. So Jesus is saying the cost is still significant when there's sin. When someone sins against us, there's pain. There's a cost. Sin hurts. But if anyone, it's Jesus who understands the pain of other humans sinning against him and how it is to forgive when they don't deserve it. Luke 23, 24. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing said Jesus on the cross. Well, he grabs this servant. We saw it played out as Ben choked his son. He doesn't usually do this at home. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, same phrase, please be patient with me and I will pay it back. But this time, instead of mercy, the servant refused. He refused, and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Notice the contrasting responses. It was the same phrase, but different responses. One showed grace. One showed mercy. The other did not. One was merciful. He forgave the debt. The other did not. It was exactly the opposite. This is what we do when we don't understand our debt. We become king and we demand repayment. Debt repayment becomes the most important thing to us. We enjoy the compassion of our king, but then we exact revenge on those around us. 
We hold that debt so tightly that we relationally imprison those around us. What does unforgiveness look like? What does it look like to you? What relational prisons might you be in right now? It might be that icy feeling, right? It might be the we're avoiding eye contact. We might shoot daggers out of eyes if looks could kill, right? Or it might be words. It might be the words that you choose saying, man, when you sinned, you took a chunk out of me, I'm going to take a chunk out of you, mister. And we go blow to blow. And the problem is, is that we focus not on the king in that moment, but our focus is on the debt that is owed to us. We've taken our eyes off of Christ. Many times it's passive-aggressive. Maybe time the other person doesn't even know what they've done, I'm harboring unforgiveness to them, and I'm ignoring it or stuffing it. Guys, that's not forgiveness. You can't bury it and expect it to go away. This is what refusing to forgive looks like. When we're sinned against, but then we choose to to sin in response, it's cyclical. They've sinned, I sin. They sin, I sin. They sin, I sin. We see this in marriage. I see this on the playground. We see it in the cafeteria. We see it in the hallways. We see it on the soccer field, in the basketball courts. We see it in offices. Guess what? We we see it in church. (laughs) I see it in ABFs. We see it in life groups. They sin, I sin. I sin, they sin. It's a cycle of sin. And at some point, somebody's got to forgive that debt. But wherever we play king, there's bound not only to be sin, but a demand for this debt repayment. It's going to be unforgiveness. Last week, Tony, profound statement. Failure to reconcile is choosing to live within a broken relationship. I'd say the same is for forgiveness. Failure to forgive is choosing to live within a broken relationship. Well, when the other servants saw what had happened in verse 31, they were outraged and they tattled. (laughs) It's the cutest tattling we've ever seen, right? Everything, they told their master everything that had happened. People feel this bitterness that you harbor. When you're living as king and unforgiving those around you, people can sense it. So your oikos, your, your relational network, those who live around you, work around you, maybe they're part of your family, they know. And if we are living this icy uh, hatred, this bitterness, do you think your gospel message is going to be one that they want to hear? You preach about a forgiving God, but then you don't play it out. Guys, when we live on forgiveness, we are crumbling our our oikos. Then the master called the servant after the tattling happened. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? I think Jesus here is comforting us. He's warning us. Remember who you are. 
Remember what's been paid on your behalf and allow this truth to play out every single day in every single relationship. Remember that forgiven people are forgiving people. Let me say that again. Forgiven people are forgiving people. Well, in anger, in verse 34, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So this is torture in prison until he could pay it back. That certainly sounds like eternity because he can never pay it back. Serious consequences. First time we, we see anger from the king. Jesus was reminding his close friends that forgiveness is a lifestyle they should walk in. It's a lifestyle they should live in. And this isn't easy. It's not natural, as I mentioned, for humans to do that. So for some of you, this is a hard sermon to hear. The cost or the sin, whether it's a once, big, many, little, that's been done to you has been horrific and life-altering. And I'm sorry for that. You don't have to walk this journey of forgiveness alone. Please, talk to somebody about that. There's a process to forgiveness. For many of others, hearing of God's goodness and forgiveness is like honey on our lips. It's music to our ears. It's goodness. It's sweet goodness. And forgiveness does not mean forgetting the sin, nor does it mean that there shouldn't be consequences for actions. Forgiveness isn't a free pass. No. It doesn't mean that there should be automatic reconciliation. I think there are even circumstances where you will never audibly say the words, I forgive you. I think that's a reality of certain contexts. But forgiveness allows a peace of mind. It allows us to be freed from the bitterness of, like what Tony preached last week, this corrosive anger. It allows us to worship freely our king who's forgiven our debt. Well, as Paul states in Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13, therefore as God's chosen people... Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, verse 13, and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Well, God's intended relational oneness was broken in Genesis 3. And he has sent his son to be a a reconciler between not only each of us, but him. Conflict entered the equation in that Genesis 3. And humans began living for themselves. We need Christ. And through Christ, the one who has paid our debt, we just sang about it, we can then take what he's done and we can apply it to the situations around us. It's because of Christ that we can live lives as people who love God, 
who love people, who live truth, and proclaim Jesus. And I would say, let's be a church that does that, especially through the words, I forgive you. It's a powerful phrase. I dare you to use it today. Here's a quick video of some kids that model what forgiveness looks like in their lives. She said I was mean. She made fun of how I look. He stole something from me. She lied about me. She said I was being a baby. He kind of threw me in line. He pushed me down. He said I was annoying. She talks about me behind my back. She left me out. He made fun of my family. She told on me. She invited everyone but me. He said I'm not his friend. She said she didn't like me anymore. He called me a loser. She hurt my feelings. He lied about me. She said I was dumb. She said I was mean. He called me a whip. He didn't she taste my secret. He made fun of how I love. He told he me no one likes me. me. She lied he about said me. she didn't want to be friends anymore. He said he hated me. But you know what? I forgave him. I forgave him. I forgave her. I forgave him. I forgave her. I forgave her. I forgave him. I forgave her. I forgave her. I forgave him. I forgave her. I forgave him. I forgave her. I forgave I forgave I forgave her. If you forgive others, you will be forgiven. So how, LEFC, how do we develop a, a forgiving heart? I think we should spend more time in the throne room of the king. Let's remember that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he, man, he's forgiven us when we were pretty gross. I think if we spend more time with that king, remembering what he's done on our behalf, it will change the way we love those around us. You don't have to walk through this alone. If you're struggling with forgiveness, we've got some friends over here under the cross who'd love to pray and process with you. I'll be up front. I'd love to do the same. This isn't a journey you have to do alone. You can do with us, particularly with Christ. Would you please pray this familiar prayer with me as we close out the service? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
you know, let's walk today, LEC, in a spirit of forgiveness, remembering what's been done for us and extending that same forgiveness to those around us. We love you.